Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 Raptors headquarters. One hour down, one hour to go. Ladies and gents and hoop heads around. Josh Lewenberg, Dwayne Watson, I'm Megan McPeak. We were just talking DeMar DeRozan and uh, if you follow the Raptors, you know that there's been some controversial rankings when it comes to DeMar DeRozan. Specifically, SI. We all we all know about that. I won't bring up that again. But one of the men behind it, Ben Golliver, and he had some interesting things to say. He's not backing down, right? So he's the, not. The, some I cont- can appreciate that he he's doubled down. Context here: uh, the ranking was what thirty six, thirty six over the it, summer going and into then the it season. Went up? Did it not go up? A couple more to like thirty. No, well, he was like forty something a few right, years right, right, ago. Right. Last year, he he was thirty six before this season, behind the likes of Chris Middleton. Uh, I'm trying to think who else was ahead of him. Wasn't well, Lonzo Ball ahead of no, him? No, not Lonzo. No, that was Carmelo. He was ahead of right. Yeah. Either way, uh, as I said, controversial. Um, and you, ha- I, I, I got to give him credit because he, Josh, as you said, he's not backing down. He's doubling down on where he stands. Let's hear what he had to say after a historic night from DeMar DeRozan. Frankly, DeRozan's big game had all the hallmarks of a local celebrity game. I mean, this guy finally makes five threes. You know, guys like Steph average five threes. For the first time in his life, he can finally hit five threes in a game. They've got a little paper (laughs) holding up. Oh, he scored 52 points. Congratulations. He's going on and on about the amazing feeling of the adrenaline and how he wishes he could bottle it up and, you know, relive this great moment. Look, if Harden had to write down the number of points he scored every single night if he got to 50. He'd need a whole notebook of paper to get through all of them. That was uh, Ben Golliver's SI.com podcast, uh, Open Floor NBA podcast from the other day. So my first issue with that, why are you even comparing Steph Curry and DeMar DeRozan as three-point shooters? Like that's that's like literally comparing apples to donkeys. Well, I think the the point was let's not get carried away with and I have been saying this and I agree with it. Let's not get carried away with eight or in this case I guess now nine games in which DeMar DeRozan has been a three-point shooter in a nine-year nine games in a nine-year career is not which it's not I, an indication of things to come. It's encouraging. Right. Absolutely. And I think there's cause for optimism here based on what we've seen from DeMar DeRozan. But the, the Steph Curry example was context that there are guys, the the three the established three-point shooters right. in the NBA that have been doing this every night for years. So Which I get. While it's great that DeMar is taking this next step, and certainly it's not, we shouldn't condemn him for it. Right. Uh, let's keep things in perspective when talking about what the future holds for there's, DeMar. There's a middle ground. And I mean, of course, I mean, you know, people shouldn't be like screaming from the mountaintops off of his performance, which right. is great, but not to expect it to be the norm. But also don't be like so condescending in terms of like, like JV held up a sign. It was a joke. It was, <laughs> it was a joke. Yeah. Right. No, it's not like DeMar's running around saying, yeah, 52-52. I mean, of course, like he's doubling down. He's not going to change his tone. And I, I don't think... Us, or us as analysts or people who follow the Raptors think that DeMar is going to turn to Steph Curry as a three-point exactly. shooter. Right. But, of course, there are positive steps in terms of his growth as a player. Like we so, said, we got the 11-game stretch 
before all this, where right. he was one for 18 from beyond the arc, including 16 straight misses. And then you've got the last nine games where he's been fantastic, shooting over 50% from beyond the arc. The most threes he's made or attempted in any nine-game stretch in his career. The reality probably lies somewhere in the middle, and that would yes. be great. That should be the goal. Is You're not going to shoot, if you're DeMar DeRozan, you're not going to shoot 50% from beyond the arc. Um, Unless you're taking two and you make one of them. Well, which well, if he can, if he can find the middle ground and he can, you know, shoot over thirty five percent from three. Well, that's and, just it. And takes, you know, four or five game and hits one or two. Like that's that's great. And I think to your point, Josh, the you know you look at the first bit of games and then this last stretch. I think also too it it also came with him finding his spots. And it, it that that's right. how he was when he was younger with the mid-range game. You got to find your spot. And he's shooting them with more confidence and that all goes into it. The, what I, what I've been saying throughout this stretch here is like I said, at some point he's going to cool down. Right. That's inevitable. Um not to say that he's not going to shoot the three ball well over a long stretch of time, but at some point he's going to go through a slump because that's what players do. That's what three-point shooters exactly. do. Exactly. Yeah. At that point do you maintain that confidence to say, "Okay, I'm going to continue shooting it. I'm going to continue trying to make it a part of my game?" Or do you revert back to right. what's been comfortable throughout your whole career, and that's the mid-range game? That's really going to be the big test to see uh, what DeRozan has done here with his game, and whether or not he can truly implement the three-ball to the point in which I need—I uh, think he needs to—to to take that next level. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to be a Steph Curry. No, absolutely not. That's not his, that's not his game. That's not him. But by implementing it to the point that he has over the last few games, it's added a new dimension to his offense. And now all of a sudden, defenses, they've got to pay attention to him back there. It makes a guy that was already tough to guard even tougher to guard. What I love about him in the three-point shot is his his mentality, his approach to the three-point shot. It's only been one last night, but it was when uh, the rebound came to him in the corner, he knocked down the three and glared. Yeah, Yeah, so it's like he's feeling confident about taking these shots. Um, There's no, it's all in rhythm, no hesitation, and also like, you know, yeah, I I can make these shots. Not only was, is it not a big part of his game before, but, I mean, it was the opposite end of this spectrum. Exactly. Uh, up until this year, he was a 28% career three-point shooter. No one in the NBA since he came into the league in 2009 had a worse percentage from beyond the arc that had attempted as many threes, over 600 of them. So, like I said, I, I mean, the goal for him over the last few years has always been just be league average. Right. Like you said, making 35%, just league average. If he can somehow get closer to 40%, then all of a sudden That's we're talking great. about, yeah, we're, we're talking about a real three-point shot. Right. And had Ben Oliver, Gulliver said, excuse me, said it, you know, that way, and not the condescending jerk tone he used, wow. I would kind of understand where he's coming from. Because you, like, the way you put it, it's probably the way he was trying to, the way he was trying to get to. Well, he also versus, called he also called Raptors fans termites, <laughs> which is what I want to get to. Um, you know what, Sean? Just give us the you, give give me the sound, my friend. Uh-huh. The Raptors fans are the best thing about that franchise. I say this in a completely respectful way. They're like termites, man. They come out of the woodwork. There's no way you could fumigate them. They're always going to come back for more. <laughs> I really, really respect and appreciate them for their loyalty and their dedication. But let me say this. Okay. They want this narrative about DeMar to happen so badly. They're pushing it so hard and it, about him becoming this three-point shooter and becoming this all-around weapon and taking his game to the next level. And 
every once in a while, he follows the advice that we've laid out him for the last five years, and he's able to come through and do it. But it's not a night-to-night thing, Andrew. I had to take a moment there. Um, I don't know, and I get what he was. I get what he was trying to say, but I don't know how you can say with all due respect and then follow it up with calling them termites. Because in in my mind, when someone goes to say something to you and they say with all due respect, it basically means what I'm about to tell you. I actually don't have respect for you. <laughs> it's like it's you know what I mean. It's like saying you're. You know, Dwayne, you're a swell guy, but well, it's kinda, I don't want to be your friend anymore. Like, what I just funny. said is, like, it's disregarded. Well, even when he said the best thing about this Raptors franchise is, is the fans. And then, like, I mean, I mean, the fans are phenomenal. <laughs> but I don't know if they're the best thing I would look at as a Raptors fan. Right. However, he has a way of, like, I mean, ultimately is this. I mean, the Raptors fans are passionate without, without question. And as soon as DeMar has any level of heightened play, they're going to let him know because everyone was very quick to let him know about the ranking he gave him. So he's probably getting it 10 times louder than we're getting in terms of like right. the belief of this three-point phenomenon is happening. They're like, hey, what's up? How's that for data? Yeah. Take that for data. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he's not going to back down. The question is, where does he rank next season in the, pre, in the, in the preseason rankings? Right. You got to think that what he's done this season is warranted enough for him to increase in standings. But also, too, like, why doesn't he? I don't see him getting on like other fan bases when they hype up. You know, like I don't see him getting on Houston for hyping up Gerald Green right now, or OKC for hyping up uh, Ferguson. But yet, he continues to just rip apart the fan base of the Toronto Raptors. It's it's a it's a. I, I think he thought that was a compliment, right? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, it, it's not. <laughs> but, um, but I, I mean, I, like I said, I, I, I see his point. I've always seen his point. And, and even DeMar DeRozan. DeRozan's a guy who's always been motivated by by the criticism. Right. But not because, not because he, I, I think he'd even acknowledge that a lot of the criticism he's gotten, including from SI, mm-hmm. has been fair. And that's sort of the idea is like, okay, well... People have said that he can't do this and he can't do that, so he's motivated to show them, to show us that yes, he can do those things. Right. But let's face it, that wasn't a, a, something that Ben Gulliver or SI made up that he wasn't shooting threes, that he couldn't shoot threes. Like I said, no one going into the season shot, was shooting a worse percentage from beyond the arc since Demar came into the league on that many attempts. He wasn't a three-point shooter. So these are all fair criticisms it's just a matter of where that ranking I, I i mean even with the criticisms in mind i don't think demar was ever the 36th or going into the season was the 36th best player in the nba he was better right. than that right but derozan's game has always been polarizing there are a lot of things that he does a number of things that he does at an elite level and then the holes in his game were glaring and they were crucial weaknesses those were areas Three-point shooting, defense, those are things that are more important than ever in today's NBA game, and they weren't a big part of his arsenal. Now he's working on improving those things, and that's why, to your point, Dwayne, I will be interested to see where Golliver ranks DeRozan next yeah. year if, and this is a big if, if he can keep this up. Because, right. again, it's not about being a great mid-range scorer necessarily or being great at getting to the free-throw line because Golliver likes us, like us, know that he's capable of that. Yeah. It's about taking the next step 
in those other areas of his game. And if he can do that now for the rest of the season, and more importantly, into the playoffs, and yeah. I think that's a big thing for people, for the, for the critics, and then even for the DeRozan fans. Most people are waiting to see if he can carry it over into the playoffs. Yeah. And if he can, then maybe he does turn some heads, even amongst the people that were quick to dismiss earlier. <laughs> and, and, you know, like I, I say this sort of... You know, tongue in cheek and fun. I I have enjoyed Gulliver's work. I enjoy you know his takes and stuff like that. So I I'm not hating on him. I just think he delivers certain things in ways that could be delivered better. The dude, and I'm I'm all for having your own opinion. As many people know, if you follow me or pay attention to what I say, I say whatever I want to say. But I try to say it in the most respectful and polite way to get my point across. But when you say things, especially talking to a fan base, call, calling them termites, like that's just that that's condescending. And he says some things with such condescension that it can be misconstrued with what he's trying, the point he's trying to get across. I will say one of the hardest workers in the biz, and that's what's <laughs> ironic. He's the Demar Derozan uh, <laughs> of the media. He's always working. He's always instead of being in the gym, he's in his he's in his office. He's always he's always writing or tweeting. He's got that work ethic. But they've also, got they 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 can bond grinding. in that in that way exactly. <laughs> and he also knows. I mean, like he's poking the fan base. Oh yeah, he knows that. He, oh yeah, he likes that too. They're on him too. But um, on Demar though, one of the things I mean, like some numbers have come up recently, the comparing Demar Derozan stats with Kyrie Irving's, mm-hmm. and of course. We already know that Kyrie is by far a better three-point shooter than DeMar. Um, but DeMar does get to the free throw line more, but they're not that far off. I mean, points per game is 25 for DeMar, 24 for, for Kyrie. Assist is 4.9 for DeMar, 5 for Kyrie. Um, you know, his numbers aren't that far off from what he's doing. For the a field goal for the season, yep. DeMar's 48. Neither of them are known for their defense. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, of course, you ask a casual basketball fan, in terms of where Kyrie should be in the MVP race and versus DeMar, there's a big disparity in terms of that perception, I think. We continue on here. We'll keep the conversation going. Home court continues right here on TSN 1050. Welcome back inside TSN 1050 headquarters. Meg McPeak, Dwayne Watson, Josh Lundberg. Gentlemen, when we started the NBA season... There was a lot of hype about, you know, Houston Rockets. They get CP3. The dynamic duo of him and Harden is going to be amazing. They had really great start, even without Chris Paul during that injury. There was also hype around the big three in Oklahoma City. Russell Westbrook teams up with Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, and they had a horrible start to their season. So, Two teams that have same amount of hype going into the season have completely drastically different starts. And now it's almost like as of late, they've swapped roles. Mind you, you know, Harden goes down with the injury. As of right now, all we know is it's going to be two weeks before he's even reevaluated. Not even two weeks and he's coming back. He's being reevaluated in what, another week and a half? If uh, my math serves me correctly. And then OKC, it seems that if there was a conversation, because, you know, there's always speculation. I've heard things that Billy Donovan had a conversation with Mello. I heard, you know, front office had a conversation with 
Mellow, George, and Westbrook all separately. There's all different speculations going around as to something triggering this change in Oklahoma City. And with the Thunder, honorable mention to Steven, Steven Adams because dude's been playing out of his mind this season, even with everything that's been going on with their big three and the struggles they've had. But as of late, it seems like after that, you know, the return to Indiana and NYC for Mello and George, that they're playing differently. And you're now seeing what was expected almost going into this season with those three playing and, you know, the way Westbrook plays. And he's kind of, he's still playing the same way, but I think he's taken a little bit of a step back and realizing, like, I've got these two guys to play with me. I can look for them. I don't need to just do everything myself. And then, you know, you've got Paul George doing a similar thing in, Earlier in the season, we would see him, you know, Mello would be on the wing and George would have the ball in hand and we would see him drive, attack the paint and try to pull up. Whereas, you know, the defense converges on him, Mello's left open and he doesn't make that pass. Now we're seeing him start to make that pass before even driving. He's not even putting the ball on the floor to attack more than one dribble. And we're seeing sort of, you know, we're seeing Mello more now pick his spots on, you know, angles where he needs to be. Harden goes down with injury. You know that Houston's going to struggle. They also lose Luke Mbamute to his injury, and he's been huge for them defensively. And I don't think, I at least didn't think that Houston would have struggled even more with losing a role player in the sense of Mbamute. So let's talk about Houston first. I think, um, you know, Harden's a big loss. This is a guy who is arguably like an NBA caliber player for this team. I uh, does so much for them with scoring and offense and, and, his playmaking, it's like if you watch Harden, like his, I mean, it's a lot of like easy stuff, pick and rolls with Clint Capella, but some of the passing makes are great. And I think he draws so much attention on the offensive end, it makes it tough for you to kind of like, what are you going to do defensively? But I think, you know, Capella was down for injuries for a while, mm-hmm. as well as in Bamute. And I think, you know, we know these guys for their offense, but, you know, if they can't get stopped, it's a problem for this team. So they're playing well, but injuries injuries happen. I think they're going to be okay. Uh, but OKC, I think it was also a matter of them like getting to play together. You had three you know, high-level players who were playing together and figuring it out. And we saw, I'm not saying that they're the Miami's big three in the heat, but it took a while for those guys to figure it out. But to Steven Adams, I mean, he's playing great basketball, and he was the guy in the James Harden trade. That was the draft pick in the James Harden trade. Right. Um, that's obviously working out for them. But I think, you know, Oklahoma City is starting to look like a team that, you know, I think they definitely need to be in that fourth or even third spot to kind of get out of the first round, which is really the bar because they didn't get the first round last year. And if they don't get the first round this year, do I really see, you know, all these, I mean, Carmelo is not, Carmelo's opting in. He's going to take that money. So he's yeah. going to stay there. But, um, you know, Steven Adams is the fourth option for this team uh, is big for them. I think, you know, they're obviously starting to figure out, get, get, I don't know how it happened. I think they just realized it's a matter of time. But they figured a way to play together, and I think the Rockets. I think the Rockets are still going to be there. Um, when if James Harden's back, this is probably the second best team in the Eastern Conference, maybe the league. Playoffs are the concern, though. Chris Paul is cursed, man. Like <laughs> not only is he no. not only is he always injured, it seems, but everyone His he's around, always, right? Yeah. Everyone he's around, yeah. whether it was Blake or now yeah. James Harden. Uh, uh, so you don't think the banana boat's going to happen? Then? It's a State Farm curse. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just wonder. Like, I mean, the, the, the knock on Chris Paul has always been these. He's on these great regular season teams. Yeah. But then he his, his teams fall apart in the playoffs for whatever reason, whether it's injuries or just underachieving. So, I mean, that's the big question with the Rockets because they were a disappointment 
technically in the playoffs last year, even without Chris Paul. They've been, even without Chris Paul, seen as a regular season team, a team that's so good offensively that they don't necessarily have what it takes defensively to go far in the playoffs. Now, they've addressed those concerns defensively with the likes of Bob Mute, as you mentioned, P.J. Tucker, Tucker and and Chris Paul as well, but uh, that's going to be the big test for them, assuming they are healthy come playoff time, is can they take the next step? And ultimately, can Chris Paul solidify what has been an exceptional career, one of the best point guards to ever play, but he doesn't have a whole lot of playoff success. That's what's missing from his resume right now. In terms of OKC... Yeah, I mean, it just takes time. Having too much superstar talent is a good problem to have, but at the same time, it's not easy. You, th- you, so- you throw three guys on a team that are used to being the number one, used to being high-usage guys, right. being the guy having the ball in their hands all the time. You have to sacrifice. Guys have to learn what their new role is, and it, it seems sort of natural. I mean, even Miami, it took a little bit of time, but it was a little bit more natural there where right. Chris Bosh yeah, took the backseat. Back he knew yeah. he'd be the third guy. I'm not sure Melo really knew and accepted that initially. He's starting to a little bit more, and there seems to be more of a hierarchy. It's Russ, then PG, then mellow. That's what needs to happen. There needs to be a hierarchy. There needs to be a buy-in on their roles, and they've got to learn how to play together. And it looks like they're doing that now. You're right about them because because Chris Bosh took that new you know backseat, and LeBron is still a differential. He's a setup guy, so he's not trying to be that guy too. So, and they were all like, "Hey, this is Dwayne's team. We're coming into." So they kind of knew going in how they're going to approach it. I think for this, it was different. And Russ was still operating like it's my team, and I don't care. Right. You guys are going to be the same <laughs> other guys. And for Carmelo of all people, that's the toughest adjustment for him because he used to be the guy having the ball in his hands, but they're starting to figure it out. Boston back in the day, I mean, yeah. that's sort of like Kevin Garnett took more of a specific role as like the the, the defender, the defender, yeah. the leader. Ray Allen is the shooter, the scorer, and then Paul Pierce was he was the guy like I think LeBron, where everyone just sort of looked to him there and said, okay, well, this is your team. You're right. the guy. We're here to fit in to what you've already built. I guess maybe that was more of the Dwayne Wade, Wade yeah, but, role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that and Golden State, while all those guys are so talented, I think it's more of a natural fit yep. because they all do different things and have different strengths, whereas right. this was always going to be a little bit more difficult because I mean, Paul George is a little bit more unique, but Russ and Melo are such high usage, high volume guys. Yep. But Ultimately, ultimately, as I said, I would rather have too much superstar talent to work with than not too, enough. Than not enough. Or do you mean ultimately it's not going to matter because Golden State's going to be both of them? Then there's that. <laughs> then there's that. I don't want to toot our own horn, gentlemen, but I feel like we said that this should have happened back at the beginning of December. And I feel like I asked you guys that question about should they figure like do they need to figure out a hierarchy, much like we saw with LeBron, Bosch, and Wade in Miami. And oh so my we should, we should be we should be coaching OKC. Oh my GMA. goodness, look what has happened. We need to get lottery tickets. Get Billy Donovan on the line. We need to get we, <laughs> the three of us should go and get lottery tickets for next month. Do we get royalties <laughs> for every win that they get we from should. here on out? We should. Quickly before we go to break though. Yeah. Is Paul Pierce the new, like, Salt Bay with this whole Isaiah Thomas tribute video? I'm okay with him having it. And then literally 24 hours later on the jump with Rachel Nichols. So let's, 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 let's set so con- this up here. So context. On NBA Countdown with Beatle and Chauncey, he said he was cool with, you know, them doing a tribute video. Didn't have an issue with it. For then, Isaiah. For Isaiah. 
I'm talking February 11th when Cleveland returns to Boston and Isaiah Thomas will most likely play because he turned down the one last week. Then literally not even, you know, 14 hours later on the jump with Rachel Nichols and Steven Jackson, you know, Steven Jackson being Steven Jackson got into his head a little bit. And all of a sudden, Paul Pierce changed his tone and was like, no, that's my night. I don't want to look up and see a video of Isaiah Thomas. That's the night they're already planning that's to the, honor That was the Paul night, Pierce. yeah, they're retiring his jersey. Is he being salty about this? Does he have an argument? Or should it just be like, like give him a timeout and let's move on? This is like, on you the, get halftime in is on after the, the team, game. This is on the team to figure out, I think, because... I wonder when that date was chosen for right. his retirement ceremony. Because if it was after the Isaiah trade, they should have known well enough to to leave uh, retire his jersey on some night that doesn't matter otherwise. Yeah, do it playing, against do it against I, Charlotte or or I Detroit think, or something. I think they're doing it that night because it's Cleveland, and he had such great matchups against LeBron late in his career that he. I think it's also in the Celtics. Well, then that's thing the Celtics him. creating problems. Yeah. And then what if they want to go the other way? I, I mean, they wanted to do the tribute video for Isaiah Thomas the first game. It didn't mm-hmm. matter that he didn't play; he was still there. Right. Um, Isaiah chose not to take it that night for whatever reason. So that should be it. We offered to do it. He, he should said, get another one. He, exactly. He declined. We're moving it's on. Pause right now. Boom. Yeah. Yep. There All you right. go. All right. So easy peasy. Both of them are salt bays. <laughs> They're, you know what I mean? They're just, get out of your feelings, gentlemen. Just get out of your feelings. Play some basketball. We continue on here. We'll talk more hoops. We might in, get into a little Canadian content. Shay Alexander's having a great run right now with Kentucky. And Andrew Wiggins, was he hyped too much? Keep it locked right here. TSN 1050's Home Court. Welcome back to Home Court right here on TSN 1050. Megan, Dwayne, Josh taking you into the 3 o'clock hour before the Dark Guy and Todd Shapiro show comes up. We've got to give an honorable mention to a Canadian playing with Coach Cal down at the University of Kentucky, Shay Giglius Alexander, a freshman out of my hometown, Hamilton. Got to give love. He's had himself so far, according to his bio... All right. It says hometown Hamilton, Ontario. You know, he's one of your guys. Got you know, you gotta give love. So they have they actually have a game tonight against Tennessee, nine PM, but he's averaging twelve points on the season, but it's what he's done their last three games. Against Louisville, Georgia, and LSU, he's gone for twenty four, twenty one, and eighteen, adding in four assists in each of those three games, a couple of blocks, some steals, and he's shooting it. At a very good percentage, when you look at from the floor, he's over 40% in those three games, 43, 44, and 56. From the three-point line, he's over, he's at 50% in those three games or more. And then as well, too, from the free throw, sorry, three-point line, and then from the free throw line, he's shooting it at over 80% in those three games, 83, 93, and then didn't miss in his last game against LSU. So we want to give honorable mention to him for putting on for the Canadian content. And we'll most likely talk more about him once it gets into March and the madness ensues. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny with Shea, he was not a guy like, he's not a guy, a name that people have been hearing about right. as a Canadian kid. I mean, he played at Hamilton Heights Christian Academy in Tennessee with his cousin, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who's a freshman at Virginia Tech, who's mm-hmm. doing big things too. But... 
Nikhil was a much more heralded recruit coming in. So um, when you have guys, and Kentucky always has the best recruiting class. Yes. And you know that if you're like a, you know, like a 1B level player, you're probably not going to get, you know, any burn. But the fact that he's coming as a guy who wasn't heavily recruited, wasn't heavily talked about, wasn't, you know, on the radar or one of these stories or playing with the junior national team, whatever, mm-hmm. and kind of come in and like been like one of the key players for this this Kentucky team um, as a freshman, that's pretty significant. So, I mean, he's cut his hair, looks a lot cleaner yeah. now, too. <laughs> his mom's he's looking like a homeless guy, and I mean, he's playing good basketball for the, for Coach Calipari. So we'll talk more about him, his brother, and the rest of the Canadians that are putting in work across the NCAA as March Madness gets closer. Andrew Wiggins, the hype that surrounded him coming into the NBA was warranted given the way that he played in high school at uh, Kansas. It's been warranted. I'll give him that credit. As of late, though, I, I, I look at Minnesota games, and there's times I've watched Minnesota games, whether it's live or watch it back on replay, that I sometimes forget he's on their roster. And it almost seems like he's, you know, like, He's taking, he's digressing back and he's, you know, they bring in Jimmy Butler, which was a great pickup for them. And it almost seemed like, seems like he's taking a step back and just sort of like not worrying about anything. It, it seems like he less and less likes playing the game of basketball. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Really? That's the interpretation game? He, I mean, I think like the bo- the body language that I that I that I see from him, the way that he. But that's just, always that's always been his body language. Right. That's always been. Which he's is just why a, I say it seems like I'm not saying it's 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 happening. It just seems like he's not enjoying himself. Is that like a? Is it because of a Thibs thing? Is I it, haven't. You know what I mean? Had luxury of seeing a lot of um games. I mean, I've seen highlights and whatnot. But I think you know, Josh, is your point. Like Andrews are. We've always wanted him to be the next guy. We've always wanted him to be the star. And yeah. that's kind of just not necessarily who he's been. And I think you look at a guy like Jimmy Butler, who's like a heavy A-type personality, mm-hmm. who wants to be that guy and like lead this team and do those things and take those shots and do it on both ends of the floor. And I think, you know, with Andrew's personality, we're like being like pretty chill. They're like, okay, well, if Jimmy's going to kind of come in and be that guy, then I'm going to kind of be, I'm cool where I am. Right. And I, I think that's kind of what it might be in that, in that interpretation. I yeah, think. I mean, like, did, did it ever look like Tracy McGrady was having the time of his life? He was sort <laughs> of always a sleepy, kind of <laughs> low-key type of guy. There are different right. different personalities. Not everyone's going to be Kobe Bryant. Not everyone's going to be that that killer. Uh, the, the Is it maybe him doing what we saw the big three in Miami doing? He's taking a step back and solidifying his role and allowing Cat to do his role and Jimmy to do his role? No, I, well, I, yes, but I, th- I think it's an adjustment. I, I think it, it does seem like he has plateaued a bit this year. So we're giving you a hard time. We're playing devil's advocate. But you, you have a case here, absolutely. He hasn't taken that next big step the way that a lot of people thought that he would. This has been, I think, a, a weird sort of adjustment for mm-hmm. him because, remember, early in his career, his first year, certainly he was the guy yep. right. in Minnesota. They didn't have much of anything else. He was getting all the minutes he could handle, all the touches he could handle. Year two and year three, he was becoming sort of the sidekick to Carl Anthony Towns, and now all of a sudden he's the third banana in a uh, big three on a rising team. So while it's great now that he's getting some experience as a winning player, mm-hmm. as a player in a team that's starting to win games, learning how to win in the NBA, which is a process in and of itself, 
He's also learning how to dial things back and how to contribute to that success in a different way than maybe he did in basically throughout the rest of his basketball playing life, right? right. In, in high school. He was the guy. In Kansas, school, he was the guy. He was the guy yeah. early in Minnesota. He was the guy. So understanding now that there's different things that he needs to do. And you know who he reminds me of, who he's always sort of reminded me of, is a young DeMar DeRozan. And DeMar in year four wasn't really progressing in the way that a lot of people wanted to see to, to show that he, he did have that next gear, that next level yet either. Because, yeah, I, I mean, there are things that Wiggins does can get to the rim, he can get to the line like DeRozan, mm-hmm. but it's like, okay, well, how do you fill in those gaps? Wiggins still isn't a very good defensive player. I was going to say, do you want to see more from him defensively, maybe? I, I want to see a lot more than yeah. him, from him defensively because he's got the tools, sort of yeah. similar to DeMar. Like, I and think he's got I, the length. I think he's actually got more, been better defensive tools than DeMar ever did, but I look at DeRozan, too, and I'm like, okay, well, you're, you're, you have good sides at your position, you're athletic, you're quick, you should be a better defender, and I think the same thing about Wiggins, and especially because he has probably even more explosiveness and quickness than DeRozan has. Wiggins could be a great defender. That team should be a better defensive team than they are. They're winning games right now because of their offense. They're still, I believe, 22nd in the NBA in defense, which is better than 27th from last year. But you've got Thibodeau. At the helm, you've got Jimmy Butler now. You've got two guys in Wiggins and Towns who, yeah, I mean, they're still growing, but they've got pretty high defensive upside. They've got to be better on that end. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you have the schemes in place for them to be a better defensive team. I mean, the funny thing is he's still only 22 years old when we look at it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But this is the team that's fourth best in the Western Conference, which is a bit of a surprise, really, if you think about it. But you want him to be a big part of that. You don't want him to be kind of like a, a complimentary piece of that, that success the team is having right now. So, you know, it's kind of the same thing we've been saying in terms of, like, we just want a little bit more out of Andrew Wiggins, you know what I mean? Like whether it's him, if he turns out to lock down the defender on that team, that's his role. That's he can give you some scoring and some offense and some defense. That's great. But you just want him to kind of like you want him to have a signature in the sense of like, hey, this guy's really great at that, and he's your guy for that. As right. opposed to like, this guy has so much talents. Where is he going to find it? Now I do think this is a good situation for him ultimately, and I, I, I was saying that the moment that they drafted Towns, and certainly once we saw how good Towns was. Because, I, like I said, I just don't think it's in Wiggins' makeup, yeah. his DNA, to be the guy. The I mean, yeah, he can score. He can. We, we know that he, he's played that role before. But you're right, the alpha, the guy that's always in the spotlight, getting all the attention. Right. I just don't think he wants that. Not that he doesn't love the game, but I just don't think he, he embraces the spotlight on and off the court the way that some other potential or the way stars that's expected do. of him and the way that's expected of him but here in this spot now where he's got a great head coach he's the third guy i think like as a second or third guy i, I think he can really grow into that role but again he's got to learn how to do that and it's not by taking 20 shots a game he's not going to get 20 shots a game mm-hmm. it's not going to be by scoring a ton of points every night he's got to find ways to contribute as that third guy in in ways that the other two aren't necessarily contributing. He needs to find and develop a niche, but it's still early. And it's way too early, certainly, to write him off as being just this kind of player. We saw that with DeMar. And the big difference, too, is that, you know, in his first few years, he didn't really have anyone to learn from. I mean, like, Kevin Garnett was there for a minute, but, like, Jimmy Butler's a guy who we could take, who who could really help him and show him how to be a player and what he can do. So the fact that he's got that guidance there is going to help him, I'm sure, in the next step of his career. They've done a nice job in Minnesota of actually bringing in 
veterans yeah. over the years. But you're right, Dwayne. I agree with you. It's one thing to learn from Andre Miller, who's like a guy right. at the Tayshawn yeah. Prince, <laughs> Kevin Garnett, guys at the end of the bench. I think Kevin Garnett, that had to be a big one for him. But you want that guy who's not only done it, but is doing it exactly. and can yeah, show you in that way. Yeah. yeah, lead by example in addition to giving you all those helpful tips, advice, reminders that they picked up over a long career. We continue on here on Home Court. Keep it locked. TSN 1050. Welcome back. Home Court. The last few minutes before we leave you with the rest of your Saturday. Josh Lewinberg, Dwayne Watson, Megan McPeak. I gotta, I, I gotta give another shout out, another honorable mention to another Canadian who's been, you know, balling out. And he's sort of bounced around, hasn't always found, been able to find, you know, his footing on a team and get things figured out and, and get his opportunity. Tyler Ennis. You know, Lonzo Ball with the injury that he's going through right now hasn't been playing. And they've inserted Tyler Ennis into that role. And he's, I mean, he's been putting on. And yeah. he's been putting on really well for them on actually both ends of the floor. And he wasn't really necessarily known for being a great defender at Syracuse and coming into, you know, the NBA, but he's made stride. So you got to give credit where credit is due. And he's, you know, thrusted into this role and he's taking it with stride and embracing it. You know what? You could have used any number of names yep. yeah, to, to, st- to start that sentence because this <laughs> has been a really strong week or couple of weeks for Canadians in the NBA. Kelly O. Yep. In, yep. Miami, or, uh, in Miami, or in Miami has been playing. I was going to say in Boston. In Miami <laughs> has been playing fantastic. Probably the best basketball of his career, fitting in perfectly next to Whiteside in that front court. Dwight Powell in Dallas has been fantastic. Yep. And how about the duo in Denver? Yep. Trey Lyles and Jamal Murray. We we talked about them a few weeks ago, and they've been getting even better. I mean, Trey Lyles has been great to the point in which. Like he he's forcing himself into a role there, even when Paul Millsap gets back, he's right. been a revelation. Yeah, I think it's it's so interesting to see that because he's a guy that you know we talked about. He he was in the trade for Donovan Mitchell, yes. and it's like afterthought. Um, obviously, Paul Millsap got hurt, and he's really stepped up and continued to play at a high level, and I think that's big. I mean, going back to Tyler though, it's funny because I actually thought Tyler would be playing a bit more this season. Just I mean, having Lonzo Ball, he's the guy, but you want to have a steady veteran guy there, right. and he hasn't been. But you know, in the absence, he stepped up and played solid basketball for this team and showing he can contribute. Does this force the hand of Luke Walton? No. To <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying Lavar wouldn't like that. <laughs> Luckily, they don't have to worry about him because he's in Lithuania messing things up. But that's a conversation for another day. Um, does this sort of force, in a way, Luke Walton to maybe find some minutes for Tyler Ennis more than what he was before this Lonzo Ball injury? I kind of feel with the Lakers are still kind of really trying to assess the youth they have and trying they're to trying to, to find their identity year. too. They just like away to Andrew Bogut, um, Jordan Clarkson is getting those minutes. So I think you know, as always in his career, Tyler Ennis has just remained to be ready, always be prepared to be ready. And we've seen it in this Raptors team. We talk about all the time the benefits of being ready, and he wasn't called upon. But Lonzo Ball is their guy. They're going to play him hard. They're going to play him a lot of minutes and let him grow and develop. But uh, Tyler's just going to be ready. Crazy. We're talking about all these Canadians, all these Canadians that are playing well in the NBA right now, and the guy that we're con- Concerned about is Andrew Wiggins of all. <laughs> yeah, even Dwight Powell is playing well in Dallas. Yeah, too, really. So it's well. Like everyone is really stepping up. I will see uh, Kelly Olenek here Tuesday. on Tuesday with the uh, Miami Heat. Um, when you look at the NBA right now, is there any coaches that you feel might be on the hot seat? Like I'm looking at 
and it, it sucks because he's only been there for a year and a half and the way they started the season and now as of late not doing really well and it's new management and that's typically when you maybe see a coaching move happen Frank Vogel you know what? It's funny because um, Nate McMillan, new management, I think, is the key in terms of Orlando. I think I think they they've done a bad job in terms of managing that team, but I think that you know with um, Jeff Waltman over there, I think that they're gonna like they've got Jerry a Stackhouse. Maybe oh. there's the Raptors connection, Jeff Weltman. But would you? But would you? I'm say glad I didn't say that. <laughs> would you say it's Frank's fault that this team is not performing that well? No, and I don't think Weltman is is especially surprised. He knew that it's right. going to be a challenge and he's going to have to go in there and it's not going to be... I mean, it was a surprise to everyone when they started off the way that they did, but they, they knew, Jeff knew, that this was going to be yes. a, a process. The question is... Was Vogel his guy? And it, yeah, right. it's not no, yeah. as we saw with Masai and Dwayne Casey. People just assumed when Masai came in that, okay, well, this isn't his coach. This isn't a guy that he handpicked. So it, it's destined to fail. And right. it, it, it hasn't been. It's not a hard and fast rule where. Um, new management, new coach. Right. Sometimes it works out. We don't know. But that's the point is we don't Agreed. know. So it'll be interesting to see if. Weltman obviously has a vision, has a has an idea for where things are going to go there. How does Vogel fit in? But ultimately, and we can segue this to the 905 discussion, that team that Megan covers is pretty darn good right yeah. now. And they're doing it with a roster that's not even, in my, in, my, in my opinion, anywhere close to as good as the roster was last year. So if anything, what Stackhouse has done with this team this year might be even more impressive yeah. than what he did last year when he won Coach of the Year and won a title. So there are going to be teams, if they haven't already, that are sniffing around. Uh, and Orlando, a team run by a former Raptors exec, could be one of those teams. And with that being said, a lot of the brass from around the league is going to be in Mississauga over the D-League, D-League Showcase Thanks. and getting a chance to see what Stackhouse is doing firsthand. Yeah, and, St- and during the Showcase, he will be without Bruno and Alfonso McKinney. With them being assignment players, they're not going for the Showcase. We know that. We haven't gotten word on Lorenzo Brown and Malcolm Miller with them being two-way contracts. They still might be there, but it definitely will be interesting. But I, it's a, another one, just to throw another name out there, Alvin Gentry. Well, that's even Stan, forever. Even Stan Van <laughs> yeah. Gundy. Stan Van Gundy, I think he's gonna take that they're gonna take that president tag away from him. He's done a better job coaching this year, though. He for has. Sure. That is it for us and home court this week. We continue on basketball. Keep in mind the Raptors have a tough one ahead. They've got Big Brooklyn, week. Miami on the back to back. Then they got Cleveland and Golden State. Keep it locked. We'll have your coverage. Josh will have your coverage. Dwayne will have your coverage. Another one for us, the Dark Guy and Todd Shapiro Show coming up next. Have a great afternoon.